Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> well, it, it's been a remarkable retreat up until now. Uh, I think you see how one sutta leads to the next and how they build uh, build on each other to develop a profound understanding of calm. I'm sure we all uh, have a deeper understanding of what that means. Uh, today's, uh, this sutta is on jhana. It's similar to the one we read, it, and it covers um, similar material. Uh, but you'll see why why I have them both back to back, and we're going to meditate after the sutta, because it is the jhana sutta. And the thing, the remarkable thing about this, I I came across this pretty early in my study of the of the suttas, um, and what what stunned me about it that there was actually a sutta within Buddhism that was on one meditation practice, because up until then, every meditation practice I came across was just an, one in an endless. Uh, series of meditation methods, all with that label that uh, they're the Buddhist, the Buddha taught it, or it's mindfulness in one, one thing or another. And none of them was presented in this way, just a simple jhana meditation with a purpose behind it. So um, let me read the, read the sutta. Like I said, we'll do that first and then we'll meditate. The jhana sutta, meditative absorption, mind and body united. On one occasion, the Buddha addressed those gathered. I tell you, friends, that the ending of the defilements of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking depends on fully developing the four levels of jhana and overcoming the desire for establishment in the dimension of the infinitude of space, the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness, the dimension of nothingness, or the dimension of perception or non-perception. We touched on this a little earlier today. Again, look at the context. These are just labels given to common um, uh, realms that, that most spiritual practitioners would be taught to grasp after. And they were just that. The, the words themselves don't really mean anything. It's interesting that uh, the realms of nothingness or emptiness are the predominant realms in modern Buddhism today. That They're taught that that's what we aspire to as modern Buddhists, to the, to, to the understanding of nothingness or the, mm-hmm. the establishment and emptiness. They're all just fabricated realms that the Buddha taught to recognize them, that you're chasing after them and abandon them. If, you don't, if you're not chasing after them, like David would be a good example, right? Mm-hmm. You never had a, a, a practice that conditioned you towards grasping after fabricated realms, right? I was asking Julia, not that she grasped, but I'm like, what does that deep level of meditation feel like? Because I never sought it and never experienced it, so... <clears throat> That's where my experience is. Yeah, and it, it, it can seem, even in the presentation, because they have uncommon names, that there's some value to grasp or, or attaining these realms, even after we hear it in this context. And again, the Buddha, and there's many, many sutras where the Buddha says, anytime you try to establish yourself, establish yourself in any of these speculative realms or grasp after them in any way, recognize them, and simply abandon it. So is that why it's, not it's a, still a value to present it? So if you do experience it, to abandon it? Versus just excluding it since it 
Well, one of the reasons why I teach it, you know, I, any of you that, that looks at, like some of you has, have looked at other suttas and then compared it to what I restored, and there's, some of them are, um, they're, none of them are different in the context, but some of them are quite different in the repetitiveness and, um, uh, I don't want to say the focus. What's the right word? What's the right word? Emphasis? Yeah, maybe, the, maybe the emphasis or... or the the emphasis becomes more clear when you cut out a lot of the extraneous stuff, mm-hmm. but because the, these references to these different realms were consistent throughout the Sutta Pitaka, <laughs> I read these references in many different suttas. That it was, I just felt it was better to to reference it in that way. But with the understanding, I could have just um, changed a lot of the writing and just say fourth level of jhana and any speculative realm. But that's to me, to me that's not maintaining enough fidelity to what the Buddha actually taught. But again, I'm getting a look. Somebody has a question there, online. No, if you could all uh, close your mics, please, unless you want to talk. Thank you. I, I, I do want to say that when because I do that sometimes comparing different translations to to your restoration that every one of them will say that these realms are speculative and that they should be abandoned. Yep. That, and and yep. it's, you know, nobody dares to leave that out. <clears throat> nobody lives by it, but... Well, a lot of them do live by it, but they don't, they don't pay attention to it. Right, they don't pay attention to it. The part that you Every, just read, too, that I actually heard and went in, was do jhana and overcome the desire to be in these fabricated realms. Yes, and it, and it, so that overcome the desire to be in those fabricated realms was what I heard there that I thought was yeah, and any and any any fabricated realm would be any imaginary existence of myself. In other words, do I need to be the the world? I need to be recognized as the world's greatest meditation teacher, or I am, or in the, the world's first greatest genre, baker, or, or I am yeah, in the second genre, or I am in the third, anything genre. like that, or that, or and again, Michael, I'm not using this to argue with, but, but again. To make the point, or thinking that I have to grasp after some kind of specific understanding, when the teaching here is to recognize this as a speculative realm and simply abandon it, just as the idea in meditation that I need to be anything other than what I am, or have any any um, intellectual knowledge other than what I have right here and right now, because all of that is just again, if I think I need to have. A deeper intellectual knowledge beyond what's presented as a dhamma. I'm placing a condition on my awakening, mm. and that's another. That's a, that's a, a fabricated realm in itself. It's a it's a fabricated idea. Does everybody understand that? Mm. And anytime that that's true about anything that we come across within the dhamma, as our concentration deepens, and this suit and what Kevin taught uh, this morning is is basically the same. To recognize when we're taking ourselves out of our own life because of getting caught up in one of our thoughts or ideas. And it is just that simple. Of course, our minds are so uh, conditioned to very complicated levels of, of conditioning, <laughs> um, that it seems very complicated and it seems intricate and it seems like we should really get down and dirty with this practice. When the truth of the matter is, it works better when it's taken just as it's presented. As... Uh, Matt taught, as, as Dhamma Dina taught Vizaka, stop, you're going too far. You're trying to see something here that's not here. 
And the Dhamma is simple. Jhana meditation is incredibly simple. The reason why I'm doing this this way, reading the sutta first and then we'll meditate on it so that you'll, you can hear what we're going to do and then we're going to actually experience this if I get back to it. Uh, the desire for establishment in a dimension of infinite, infinite space, infin, dimension of, in, the, of infinitude of consciousness, the dimension of nothingness, or the dimension of perception or non-perception or any other speculative realm. Friends, the ending of the defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking depends on the first jhana, which is secluded from sensuality and other unskillful mental qualities. One enters and remains in the first jhana. So again, just a simple instruction. We seclude ourselves from sensuality. How do we do it? We leave the world behind. We go into wherever our meditation spot is. We might close the door. We might turn down the light. We sit and we close our eyes. We become mindful of our breath. In that moment, we are establishing seclusion. So it's both a physical place, but the, the mental seclusion is mindfulness of the breath. And that establishes the first jhana. And everybody does this, correct? The first jhana is not something that we can't do, or that's not, that a human being can, is not capable of doing. We sit down, we establish seclusion. Being mindful of the breath, the second fact, the second part of this, and other unskillful mental qualities. What, what does it mean? Do we need to get into that? What are these mental qualities? It doesn't matter. We learned in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness that those mental qualities are being distracted by feelings or thoughts or a thought attached to a feeling. So in our meditation, when we find that we're distracted by anything, that's an unskillful mental quality. And we come back to the sensation of breathing. So all of us do this. When we, we come back from our busy day, or it might be our morning sit or our afternoon sit, we got the day running through our head, we sit down and we start quieting that. All of those things, the distraction that's running through our head are unskillful mental qualities as far as our meditation practice is concerned. So we recognize that, we start breathing. That's the first jhana. The first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. Rapture is an archaic word that in this sense means joyful engagement with. So I have, I have joy, I've generated joy in the fact that I've established seclusion. And whether you recognize that as rapture in your own uh, establishment of seclusion or just recognize that, you're, that it's a pleasant abiding is enough of rapture. To, to recognize you've established the first John. Again, I'm using a word just trying to, to maintain some fidelity, but it might be a little bit too powerful of word, a word to relate to the first John. But it's a pleasant abiding, isn't it? And I, I would bet that everybody has that pleasant abiding, even if your meditation session seems a little bit distracted. Because every time you come back to the sensation of breathing, and, and however many times you have to do that, your mind will naturally calm. And you'll recognize this, and it builds, and it builds from that first jhana too. That first jhana is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. So I find that I'm caught up in my thought. I direct my thought. That's what it means, nothing magical or mystical. I direct my thought back to the sensation of breathing. And in that first jhana, we're all going to be judging our practice. Am I doing it right? Does it feel right? What should I do? You know, it's too long, it's too short. That's evaluation. And it's common. Why is the Buddha teaching it and why do I bother teaching it? Because we all do it and it should not be a distraction. In other words, if we find ourselves analyzing our meditation, don't judge yourself for analyzing your meditation. Recognize what you're doing and simply abandon it. That's all. The meditation should not be used for any type of 
intellectual grasping after. It's solely for deepening concentration. And any time we get caught up in a thought, Jack, even if it seems so important, we're losing our concentration in that, in that moment. Right? Furthermore, the ending of the defilement, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, depends on the second jhana, which is the stilling of directed thought. Michael talks brilliantly about this, eloquently. The stilling of directed thought and evaluation. So again, it just means that now my concentration has deepened to the point, deepened to the, to the level that I don't have to keep directing my thought back to my breath. Or just do it. It's my ongoing breath is now establishing this second jhana. And this second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure now born of concentration. So I've gone from joyful engagement with this seclusion, with the fact that I've established seclusion, and now my concentration is deepening, and I am taking rapture with that. I am joyful joyful engagement with that. Or you could simplify and just say, yes, this is pleasant. I recognize concentration as a pleasant abiding. Why? Because it leads to calm. It leads to the goal. And it's important to recognize that our concentration practice, our jhana practice, is actually working. That's why the Buddha teaches these. Not to grasp after that, not, to, not as levels of attainment or achievement, just so we know that our meditation practice is actually working and we're doing it correctly. And that's why we're doing this first and we're going to meditate second. So you can do this. But... Is anyone here, online too, I realize I'm not looking at the screen much, um, has anyone here not experienced these two levels of jhana? No one. They're simple, they're direct. There's nothing that any reasonably well-thinking human being, maybe I should say mentally and physically, reasonably well-fit, can do this. Anybody can do this. It doesn't take any special teaching, any special lineage, nothing. All that it takes is mindfulness of your breath and the right framework. Rapture and pleasure born of concentration, free of directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. So again, I would bet you've all experienced that, even if it was just for a moment. And notice there's no time frame that's being taught here or or in any other uh, dispensation on the jhanas. It's, it's, not, it's never taught that you're in the third jhana if you stay there for 18 minutes or 18 years. There's never even a time limit put on a meditation session that the Buddha teaches that I've ever come across. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the third jhana, which is the fading of rapture. So it doesn't mean that our meditation practice is now becoming miserable. I'm not, I'm not joyfully engaged with it. I simply don't notice the joy. It's now, they remain equanimous, mindful, alert, and sensitive to pleasure. Again, this is different than sensuality or giving in to sensuality, isn't it? It's two different words, sensuality and sensitive. Sensitive means mindfully aware of what's occurring. I'm sensitive to this joyful engagement that I'm, I'm in right now. I'm joyful, I'm sensitive to this pleasant abiding of my meditation. Which, by the way, is that beginning of establishment of equanimity in the third jhana that leads to the fourth jhana. In other words, it, it, people that say they've never experienced the fourth jhana haven't because they haven't noticed the progression, the deepening concentration from this third jhana. So if you can recognize a mind becoming more equanimous, more balanced, is the best way to look at that word, 
then you can recognize the deepening concentration that leads to the fourth jhana. Mindful, alert, and sensitive to pleasure. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. Has anyone not experienced a moment in their jhana meditation where that pleasant abiding permeated your entire mind and body? Not experienced it? We've all experienced the first three levels of jhana. <clears throat> Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the fourth jhana, which is the abandoning of evaluation. There's no judgment left. This is the beginning experience in jhana meditation of what it means to be an awakened human being off your cushion. The fourth jhana is the abandoning of the evaluation. So when I'm evaluating my meditation practice or anything that's occurring in meditation practice, what is that? It's self-reference. It's eye-making. And so we learn in jhana practice, initially, how to interrupt eye-making in just this way, in what we've been learning all this weekend. And all these, in the, in the 11 doors and all that, that other things that we talk about. So it's all rooted in recognizing and abandoning eye-making. So this is, and, John, this is the, the, the beginning of interrupting this constant, this is good, this is bad, this is good for me, this is bad for me. To I make the point. This, I don't want this. It's not the beginning, and I don't, I'm not saying I have to argue mm -hmm. with it. The beginning is the first jhana, but the recognition of it is the third jhana. Yeah. This is how we know it's working. And again, that's just, this is the only reason it's taught. <clears throat> it's the only reason we teach it here. So we know that, our, that we're doing it right, and that it's working. Are the jhanas fluid? Yes, another good point. The, the, these aren't stagnant states. They're, just, they're defined as four levels. But you could say it's just one deepening level of jhana. In fact, in, in many... Suttas, and I think in this one, uh, the Buddha talks about the Saraputta Sutta comes to mind too. He talks about ever deepening levels of jhana or ever deepening levels of concentration. So our, we are always doing that. We're always deepening our concentration. It's it's um, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it's infinite, um, but for our own experience, concentration can always be experienced as a human being. We always have the potential to deepen concentration. I got a, a, a call a few years ago from a new student who was, I could see he was excited. Uh, I could hear it in his voice. And he wanted to know, why did the Buddha keep meditating after he was awakened? Why wouldn't he? Of course he would. It's the most pleasant abiding he could, he could develop within his own life. But the student was seeing meditation as a means mm -hmm. to an end. I want to get done with this and mm -hmm. get to whatever that state is. Rather than this pleasant abiding. And that's an important point. That's probably good that it came up and good that you brought it up, David. If your meditation seems grim in any way, you have the wrong attitude. And you haven't taken, and this is, I'm not saying this to, to judge any of you harshly, to recognize, have you actually taken refuge in this, in the understanding that a human being did this, his dhamma is still here, and we are so fortunate to have a well-informed and well-focused sangha. And in that way, Yes, I'm joyfully engaged in this. Because I know what it's going to give me. I'm not doing it out of a sense of duty. I'm not doing it because everybody else that I go to on, on these retreats is doing it. I'm not doing it because that annoying bald guy said to do it. I'm doing it because I know it works. It's bringing me what I want. This changed everything for me. When I understood for the first time after 218 years in Buddhist practice that this is actually working. 
I didn't have to generate any more joyful engagement. I had it. And it was just the experience. And this is very early in my understanding of what the Buddha taught. And, you're, and this is why we emphasize it here, too, why it's so important to Ehepasiko, to come and see for yourself. <coughs> because then we become, as the Buddha used the word, rightly self-awakened. We generate our own enthusiasm, you know, enthos. We become full of our own spirit for awakening. They enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. And it's also the experience off our cushion of being present for life as life occurs. And so that fourth, genera- the fourth level of jhana that we establish in jhana meditation, we've also all experienced it off our cushion, again, even if it was just momentarily. Has anybody not had the experience off your cushion of recognizing a situation that used to, excuse me, distract you or disappoint you in some way and you recognize it now it didn't? Has anyone not had that experience? That's the fourth level of jhana that you've all established. There's no advanced meditation practice with the Buddha's Dhamma. It's just this. We begin, you know, at the end, with, as far as the method is concerned. And if you can master the method, and we all have agreed that we can, we all know that we, it's, it's simple. If you can master the method, you can master awakening. It's just a matter of following these directions. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. So you know that you're in that fourth level of jhana, whether it's on your cushion or off your cushion, if you're not seeking pleasure or pain in this moment. And again, notice the Buddha doesn't say being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen for 18 and a half hours. Neither pleasure nor pain is seen in this moment. Why does the Buddha not put time, uh, time frame on any of these? Anything. Because the, the Dhamma resolves in this moment. There's no time in this moment. That's why you heard me say, if you want to experience eternity, develop the Dhamma, because this is it. This moment is the edge of eternity for every one of us. How else could it not be? It's the reference point for our own experience of the rest of our eternity. Of course, we're all going to die. But even in that time, if I die right now, my eternity lasted 66 years. But the only way I can know that is to put myself in it. And for more than 46 of those years, I didn't know how to. And even though I did a lot of things, the general feeling when I went to sleep at night was something's missing. And sometimes something really sucks. And I couldn't understand why, because like most people, I was living some, somewhat of the American dream, some part of it. But like all of us, we felt a certain discontent. And, and we were confused about that. We didn't understand why. And now we know it's because we we lacked concentration. We lacked that single quality. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure, bright awareness. The fourth jhana, which is a pleasant abiding. Again, think of this, an awakened human being teaching this 2,600 years ago and still today, where awakening in any spiritual discipline was taught as something otherworldly and, and impossible for a human being to experience, but something we should all chase after. And in the midst of all of that, 2,600 years ago and today, what an incredible statement. The whole point of this, the follower of the, of the, nat- of the Eightfold Path understands... Wait, I missed it. 
the fourth jhana, which is a pleasant abiding. Again, doesn't seem like much, does it? Until we understand that's everything. Imagine living your life moment by moment in this state of a pleasant abiding, or another word is calm. It's the resolution of all of our problems right here within our own mind, with our own understanding. The fourth jhana, which is a pleasant abiding. This follower of the Eightfold Path understands that any phenomena connected to the five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, or consciousness, is impermanent, stressful, a disease, painful, an affliction, and as such, anatta, not self. So the five clinging aggregates are the ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering. Uh, just interesting timing, Tuesday's class in the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study is going to be on the five, the five clinging aggregates. So that'll be the, the, the end of this retreat. You have to all be here on Tuesday. <laughs> this follower of the Noble Eightfold Path disregards those phenomena, disregards them. We don't get caught up in it anymore. We don't analyze things anymore. We disregard those phenomena and inclines their minds to the cessation of ignorance of four noble truths. Nothing more, nothing remains to provoke the birth of suffering. Another moment rooted in ignorance. This follower of the noble eightfold path from fully developing the four levels of jhana knows an exquisite peace. Fabrications have ended grasping too. This passion and unbinding are established. Unbinding from what? Unbinding from views, clinging to views, ignorant of four noble truths. It it is as if an archer or their apprentice were to practice in a particular tar on a particular target. With continued practice, they would be able to shoot quickly for long distances, piercing many targets. In the same manner, they reach cessation of the defilements. If not then, through continued joyful right effort and cessation of the five lower fetters. Five lower fetters, we talked about them earlier today. Self-identification, grasping at rituals and practices, doubt and uncertainty, sensual craving and deluded thinking. These five lower fetters are the ones that keep us bound to ignorance. And they're taught so that we recognize them and gently, without any self-judgment or self-reference, let them go. As they arise... So in the moment, if I know I'm self-identifying with it, even in an aspect of the Dhamma, grasping after it, I recognize it and I let it go. Grasping at rituals and practices, that was how most of modern Buddhism was presented to me as a, just a series of, of rituals and practices. And I, I, I spent many Sundays bowing and chanting and feeling, really, literally feeling like a fool doing it. And chanting in a language that I didn't, I, I don't really under, I know a little bit of Pali, a little bit of Sanskrit, but I can't chant in it. But yet here I was spending hours chanting with a smile on my face, but feeling like a fool. Because I knew it couldn't possibly get me anywhere towards understanding. But I did it because everybody else was doing it. And I bought into it. Doubt and uncertainty. That's an important thing to recognize in our own practice. If it's, if it's defining our practice, if we're full of doubt and uncertainty, it, it's probably 99% sure that you haven't taken true refuge. So look at that. One of the major schools of modern Buddhism teaches that we should cultivate doubt. And I know you've, well, most of you have heard people teach that. That doubt is good. Go into your doubt. Cultivate your doubt. When an awakened human being said, that's nonsense. All you're doing is distracting yourself into further doubt. What we focus on will expand. And if we focus on doubt and uncertainty... 
we're going to live a life of doubt and uncertainty. If we focus on calm and concentration, we're going to live a life of a well-concentrated life with a calm and peaceful mind. Sensual craving and deluded thinking. That last is the key to everything. Why am I doing this? Why did I come here in the first place? Because there's an aspect of my deluded thinking that's leaving me in discontent. And it's just that simple. If my thinking wasn't deluded, there would be no discontent. I'm, I'm emphasizing this to make the point. In that way, in that recognition, I am now my own teacher. I, am now, I now have the ability to become rightly self-awakened with the support of the Triple Refuge. The Buddha continues, They are released, they're unbound. I tell you, friends, that the ending of the defilements of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking depends on fully developing the four levels of jhana. We all agree that we can do that. And overcoming the desire for establishment in the dimension of infinite, in the infinitude of space, the dimension of infinitude of consciousness, the dimension of nothing, or the dimension of perception or non-perception. Again, notice the lack of importance that the Buddha teaches these, where, uh, where everybody during his time thought that these were the highest attainments we could have, is <clears throat> to somehow get into this dimension of infinite space or the infinitude of consciousness. Even thinking about this, I remember having this thought a, a while ago when I, what the hell, well, I, can use, I can use that word, what the hell good would it be if I could somehow get, get my mind into this, this place of infinite consciousness? Where the hell would it take me? How would I know it? Yeah. I, it it's a saying, I would be everything and so I would be nothing because I have no place of reference where the Buddha teaches us that that's all that we are. We are a reference to what's occurring. Not nothing. We are, in, in, and in that way, are that we are the most significant aspect of life when we're living in this moment. Notice I didn't say we're the most important aspect. We are the most significant aspect. Why? And why am I making that distinction? Because if I claim that like this is the most important thing, it's I making. Mm-hmm. I'm just a reference to what's occurring. My mind is calm and at peace. Being a reference point to life as life occurs is a pleasant abiding. How could it not be? It's simply what's occurring. And it doesn't matter what's occurring. It doesn't matter what what I think I don't know because the quality of my mind now knows. I know what is most important to know. Four noble truths. Remember the, the handful of leaves, Sutta. I can't remember the name of it right Samsapa. now. Samsapa Sutta. It's not about understanding where all the leaves on the trees come from. We just need to know, we instantly have to understand this handful of leaves, what we can hold in, in our own minds. The rest of it is distraction. The rest of it is discontent. The rest of it is dukkha. The rest of it is hell. It, it depends on fully developing the four levels of jhana and overcoming the desire for the establishment in those other realms. Over and over again, the Buddha tells us, don't go there. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path, having abandoned self-identification with form, having abandoned aversion, having abandoned self-reference now here and now there, now here and now there. Why didn't the Buddha just say having abandoned self-reference here? Because he's saying we abandon it everywhere. Everywhere we're speculating and trying to establish ourselves, here and there, everywhere. They enter, remain in the, in the perception of the infinitude of space. Even here, 
again, foolishly, we've, we've, we've placed ourselves in something we thought was valuable. The infinitude of space. Even here, they understand that any phenomena connected to the five clinging aggregates. What is connected to the five clinging aggregates in the fabricated realm? Any one of them, at, at least form, because you've now projected yourself, your, your physical being, even though you're projecting it into a non-physical realm, it's at least that. So now you've taken the ongoing personal vehicle, the vehicle that maintains your discontent, because of your human, your lack of human understanding, and you're taking that form that is rooted in ignorance, prone to discontent, and sticking it someplace else where you're going to go with it. And so you spend lifetime after lifetime, if it was possible, chasing discontent, rather than the Buddha says, become a reference point to your own life and wake up. Is that the doubt? That That's, you're about? Of course, it, well, it can be. <laughs> Because this isn't good into the doubt that Vasaka had that Matt taught so brilliantly last night. It was doubt in that case that brought Vasaka saying this can't, it got to be more than this. It's got to be the next question. It, and it's the same thing that takes us out of our, we had such a great discussion. We talked about this. This is what takes people, most people out of Dhamma practice. It's just not enough. A pleasant abiding is not enough. And so we try to qualify it even within the Dhamma. We, we might see too much in these simple suttas. Or other ways. Or we might try to uh, incorporate... Excuse me. We might try to incorporate additional meditation practices or additional rituals, even though we're told not to, because we think there needs to be more. A couple of dozen uh, bows a day can't hurt anything. And maybe somebody's watching and I'll get something from it. I mean, that's really the thinking, you know. I mean, I... For years and years and years, I was trying to figure out, is God really watching me? Have I really got a chance to get someplace good? <laughs> and it was always there, you know. And I, and I do one thing good after a string of really crappy behavior. I think, I hope you watched till I saw that one. <laughs> Talk about a fabrication. Let me keep going. Any phenomena connected to the five clinging aggregates is impermanent, stressful, disease, painful, and affliction, and as such, it is not a self. So the ongoing personal experience known as the five clinging aggregates are wrong views of self manifesting as this, 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 this conglomerate of, uh, of fabricated humanity. They disregard these phenomena and incline their minds to the cessation of, of ignorance. Nothing remains to provoke the birth of suffering. This follower of the noble eightfold path from fully developing the four levels of jhana knows an exquisite peace. Fabrications ended, grasping too. Dispassion and unbinding established. The Buddha's repeating that. Friends, the cessation of the defilements depends on recognizing and abandoning these five clinging aggregates. The five fetters and overcoming the desire, overcoming the desire for the establishment in any, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read that, the four, but what I will say is overcoming the desire for the establishment in any fabricated realm in any speculative dimension, in any place that a human being can't be. And the only place a human being can be that we know of, that we can be assured of, that we can take truth in, is this one. There is no one that's ever gone from, at least to my knowing, has ever gone from a non-human realm and come back to the, to the human realm. 
There may be something else out there, but it's not for us to speculate about or we'll waste this life grasping after that one. Because it will always seem like it's better. But I remember having this thought years ago when I was trying to come to grips with heaven, hell, and all that stuff. And I, I was probably 15, I had this thought. How do I know that, that that's better than this? Even, I mean, they tell me it is, but how do I know? And the idea, I think I said this in a Thursday class a while ago. I was taught that it, it, uh, what, what heaven was like was sitting for eternity at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. That, that scared the hell out of me. I don't want to spend the rest of my life sitting at the right hand of anybody. I don't care how cool he is. I mean, really, why would I want to do that? That's the same as establishing myself in infinite consciousness. There's nothing to it, is there? But there's something to living this life with a pleasant abiding. It's all that we can ever have. And I'm not talking about the biggest hut with the, with the most coconuts. It doesn't matter. In fact, most of that stuff, most of the, the things associated with huts and coconuts are taken care of by just living a life. We don't have to grasp after food, clothing, shelter, and medicine, most of us. We just have to go out and do the things we can do. And all of that takes care of it. So why don't we do it with a calm and pleasant abiding? Why get ourselves all stressed out, stressed out over these things that are just part of being a human being? Why? Because we're ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Thus, this is a profound understanding. Again, remember when the Buddha is saying this? and how important it is and how relative it is now. Unsurpassed and overcoming the five clinging aggregates, overcoming anatta, overcoming wrong views of self. Those followers of the Noble Eightfold Path who have attained this understanding and emerged from dependence on ignorance, I love this line, skillful meditators all, he's talking to us, will rightly explain this to others. That's the end of the sutta. Are we rightly explaining this to others? You've heard me say, and I usually say that, I don't know if I said at the beginning of this retreat, but the way that we structure our retreats and the way that we structure our sangha is very similar to the way the original sangha operated. We're focusing on the same suttas, we're presenting it in relatively the same manner, and we're having the same experience. And that, that is, um, well, I don't, I don't want to go too far into this. What I want to do is we're going to meditate for 10 minutes, not 20, because we've done a lot of meditation. Um, and just be mindful of it. Don't grasp after these levels of jhana. But as you feel your, your concentration deepening, just notice it. And I think you're going to notice that the fluid nature of these jhanas. I think you'll find yourself going, obviously we're going to all start at the first jhana. We're going to all drop down into the different levels of jhana. And then you might find yourself back at the first jhana or the second jhana. And what do you do when you find yourself there? Take a breath. What do you do off your cushion when you find yourself out of your mind? Take a breath. The same thing we're doing here. The same thing we're doing to establish these four levels of jhana, ever-deepening concentration. Yes. All right, I'll post a talk later on today. Appreciate it. Glad you joined us, Jeff. Hello, Mateo. Future teacher, Mateo. I will take a noble silence because I, I talked too much about jhana last week, so it's fine. Listen to the others. <laughs> you never talk too much, Mateo. I'm glad you joined us. We'll see you Thursday. Tom, how are you? Great. Uh, great. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed the opportunity to sort of check in and 
tag along uh, this afternoon. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, on the jhana meditation, um, I get the three levels, I uh, the four levels, excuse me, I have experienced them. Um, yeah, it, even a short meditation like that just reminds me of how you know how programmed my mind is to be distracted it's still it's still you know i I have experienced them all but 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 so fleetingly and um you you know but i keep coming back i keep coming back so don't worry i'm not i'm not discouraged um but uh yeah it's just a it's it's the most simple and yet most most challenging practice for me um but yeah just just a couple of things I, i i guess i wanted to share um you talked earlier about abandon, you know, simply abandon, um, two words that you say very often. And I've been reflecting recently on how this has really helped me in my life, um, even off the cushion. And I've noticed how I've become a lot better at, at, at um, just generally having better habits, um, forming better habits in my life, habits which I hope are aligned with the, um, the Eightfold Path. But it's it's just that idea of not overthinking things too much. Just yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> the, the instructions are very Why very clear, yeah. and and you know if you're stressed, it's because you are not following in some way. Um, you know you're not you're not acting rightfully, let's say, uh, or rightly. Um, you're 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 acting wrongly. Uh, and again, not to judge yourself or to be harsh, but but just to recognise that. So. I've noticed this really coming into other parts of my life and it's given me a lot of extra confidence in other areas because I've been like, well, actually, I I do have the power to change. You don't have to believe, you know, the hype that you create about yourself as being, you know, oh, I'm too this or or too that because it's um, you just abandon something which is not skillful. So that was the first thing that's that's really helped. And then on the meditation, on on coming back to jhana meditation, um, you know, it's it's. It's really, for me, especially over the last perhaps year to 18 months, you know, essentially since I joined the Sangha, it, it has become something I don't dread anymore. Or I, I, I did one of these um, Vipassana 10-day silent retreats. Oh. And I remember, I, I almost saw it as like a boot camp for meditation. Uh, yeah, and I was going to get through those 10 days. And then I'd read, I'd watched all these YouTube videos. And I saw how after the 10 days, I was going to come out, you know, a new man, all of that sort of yeah. stuff. And, and, and I just I just was counting down the days and the hours while I was there. It was it was unbearable. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, seeing meditation as refuge. Um, and, and even this morning, I, I, you know, I woke up with some not very good habits of I got caught online looking at some stuff and some YouTube and whatever. And and just a relief of remembering I have this practice. Mm. And I just felt it. It's like, oh, I can let go. I don't have to be, you know, going on Facebook or whatever else, you know, news websites and stuff. It's just all creating this 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 these ideas buzzing around my mind and, and which is just not healthy. So so on that note, you know, just thank you once again uh, to you and to the other teachers and the entire Sangha because it's, I can't stress enough how transformative and life-changing this has this has been for me. And I'm sure I'm speaking for other people as well. So um, it's just brilliant to have this practice. And, and it's not easy. You have to keep going. But it's, uh, 
it, it's it's the single most important thing that I think we can all be doing of our time. So thank you for at least um, opening that doorway <laughs> as we're speaking about doorways today uh, for for me. Thank, thank you to a future teacher, Tom, and thank you for walking through the door. You know, <laughs> really, I, mean, you, uh, I think Tom's going to be a pretty good teacher, huh? Yeah, yeah. Seems like it. Alex, say hello anyway, please. Are you, are you still oh, there? Yeah, Alex is... Alex is Alex had to pop out. He's ah, not here. okay. All right. Thank you, Tom. I'll see you on uh, on Thursday. I might uh, say, send an email to you, both of you later. Great. But we'll see. I might just wait till Thursday. So I'm glad you joined Great. us today. Thanks. Uh, Brian, how are you? I'm well, John. Thank you. Um, I I needed this talk today because I that helped dispel and pierce a number of fabrications that I've been holding around what these jhanas are versus what they're not, especially around Samadhi. And, and there's just this, this perception out in the world that Samadhi is this be all end all experience. And those fabrications were so strong that I was disavowing my own direct experience of those jhanas. Like I, I love meditation now. Like I, I will sit, I can sit for an hour. I, I can go through the levels. And like I said, like I'd held these fabrications so much that just going through this today, like I can play back. I'm like, Oh my God, God like you were actually going through those. Yeah. I was sitting in the, the pure, yeah. bright awareness, right? I was you, sitting with that, that equanimity and I'm, I, I can let that all go now. So I, you know, to, to others points today, like that, just just letting this stuff go and, and, and you, you can't think your way through or cognize your way through this. You have to, you just have to experience it. So thank you. Thank you. Well said. Uh, Anthony. Hi. Um, so uh, I didn't get to really get too deep into any of the genres today because I'm puppy sitting. And so I was like, part of my mind was what, what's the puppy doing is, you know, is he missing Debbie? And then is he going to come and like hit me on the back with his nose or lick me and then, uh, and then make me scare the living crap out of me, which literally did happen in the middle of it. <laughs> but I have experienced the genres before. And I even remember once I got so deep that it was like the closest thing I felt to, to being high and levitating. And I did crave after that. And, and then I know from experience that that was not a skillful thought, you know, and, not, and, and it was, but it's always good to hear it. So I just, I'll keep it brief. I have a comment and a question. The comment is my favorite part of your statement was this moment is the edge of eternity. <laughs> and the question is, why did, why did you choose to end the retreat talking about the genres? Oh, actually, we ended the retreat talking about calm, and that's the that was the point of the retreat, wasn't it? So that fourth level of jhana is uh, equanimity is is uh, uh, means calm, and so that that's the reason why. That's why we finished with this. Uh, this ah, okay. And just to, just to um, samadhi is another word. Pali Sanskrit words have infinite meanings. Uh, usually, in the context of the Dhamma, samadhi can mean uh, a few things that are distracting. I use it only because it's reference, uh, but I use it very sparingly. Samadhi is it means concentration or a non-distracted state. So. Anthony, I'm glad you joined us today. Uh, we'll start. I, with the, 
You had something to say, Anthony? I just said it was great. Thank you. Yeah, it was great having you. Great seeing you again. You got to join us more often, though. Mm-hmm. I know you're. Yeah, I said no. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, please. You I got? Will. You have any plans of coming up? Um, I'm kind of looking at September. Oh, well, make it uh, the end of September. You can join us on our residential retreat. <laughs> oh, it's going to be the end. I think so. Yeah, okay. I got to check the dates, but. I... but then- was not in, is it in New Jersey? No, uh, New York State, near Albany. Hmm. That might throw a monkey wrench at things because I wanted to see people in Jersey. But anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. And for sure, when I come in, I'm going to as many life uh, meditations as I can. Great, great. Good to see you, Anthony. Dustin, how are Thank you? I'm doing well, John. How's your four levels of jhana? Um, they're changing all the time. Um, at first I had so many negative thoughts that I was just looking for relief from that. You know, I just wanted, like, no thought. But then I started to meditate and I started to have, like, good-feeling thoughts. And I would kind of move into those sometimes and not really realize they were a distraction because I was enjoying the, the opposite of the negative thoughts. But then when I do try to um, come back to the breath, a lot of times I get really sleepy, you know, so then I have another thing I have to deal with, which I guess that's a distraction. Yeah, so sleep can often be just a, a, uh, a, an averse response to meditation, and it's a very convenient one. You know, you fall into, I'm just too tired to meditate. Some, sometimes you're just too tired, though. But you need to be clear about that because if you're often tired during meditation, it's probably, uh, you're either not getting enough sleep, but it's probably just aversion to what you're doing. Yeah. Did you notice that any of the jhanas? you notice your concentration deepening? Yeah. When I want to do it, my concentration is pretty good. I mean, I, can, I notice all the trying to get my attention, the, the thoughts, but I can come back to center pretty easily. But then I guess those thoughts don't work, and then just sitting here, I'm not tired, I wasn't tired. Yeah. But in the middle of it, when I was, this time I was like, I'm really just going to try to come back to, you know, the point of reference. And I, when it couldn't get my attention that way, it just created this complete lethargic feeling inside yeah. of me. Yeah, that's rather common, Dustin, and thank you for bringing it up, too, because we all need to hear that. <clears throat> Glad you joined us. Um, sorry, John, but very quickly, is it yes. possible to turn the camera around? Yeah. But I won't see you. There you go. Is that good? That's great. There you go. That's better. <laughs> then we can see who's speaking. There's the other half. Your finger's over there. What's that? Your finger was over there. No, you're good. It's good? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Becky! Thank you, John. Um, <clears throat> I felt like my concentration was, was better during this little 10-minute exercise than it has been at home for a while. Um, I know what to do, and I know what I need to do, and I know how to do it. But I have been distracted lately, as I said in the beginning of this retreat. And today, Really, for the first, like I said, for the first time in a few in a few weeks, I felt like, wow, okay, I'm I'm back. I know what I I know I know what's happening. 
I know when I'm distracted. I come back. I know, I sort of know where to go when I come back, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of like I know, you know, where to go, where, what, I don't know how else to describe it. You have some good meditation go. muscles. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, thank you, that the whole retreat has been like a little course correction. Mm. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Mr. Murphy. Yes. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. Uh, I feel energized. Energized. Yeah, me I too. Meditation, yes. I always do here. Actually, Julie and I were speaking of how, uh, how, how good the meditation is with everyone in the room. Yeah. yeah. It is. I, yeah. Like, I don't know. Just, yeah. just settle into a place and... Um, very peaceful and calm. So, I mean, I had to come down off that. You know, you saw, you know, what's going on before. We had to come back down from there. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll bring it back up a notch. <laughs> I know you will. Keep this thing uh, going. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, I'll just go in a different direction. Through that door. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll, make, yeah. I'll make my own door. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Isn't that, that kind of like Murphy's Law? I like that. You make your own. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can go wrong. We'll go. Right? A Murphy bed, but a Murphy yeah. door. Any door that we need. Uh, okay, so I like this part uh, you know, from the third John. The third John is characterized by the stilling of directed thought and evaluation, and now able to experience the subtle pleasure of a mind calmly united with the body. This is a pleasant abiding free of comparison to what is no longer present. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the fourth shana, which is abandoning of evaluation. Greed, aversion, and delusion are abandoned in the fourth shana. Okay? They enter and remain in the fourth shana, which is pure equanimity and mindful, being pure neither, being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. To me, the way I interpret that, and I know, um, I want to ask you a question. The evaluation here that is mentioned, is this the evaluation of a genre practice, or is this the evaluation of the way we perceive things? Um, as Good question. As a, as a, um, and, um, so if we're abandoning the evaluation of the way we see things as being good or bad or, for, you know, in reference to the self and the not-self, so to say. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're doing that, abandoning that evaluation, and we're not placing a greater value on anything, everything is of equal value, and all is the same. So then I should not desire that or long for this or cling to whatever. Right. So if all valuations are the same, I'm in a still place. Yeah, I would say you, you wouldn't recognize it as evaluation. It you know it would just be what it is. You know, that yes. to yes. say that all things it's it's like saying all frying pans eight nine eight ten twelve fourteen eighteen inch frying pans are all the same price. So that makes them all the same. Seeing all phenomena as <coughs> of equal value is still placing a value on it. So it gets to, you're, you're getting to a very subtle aspect of the Dhamma is. Free of evaluation is both free of evaluating your jhana practice because it's so simple you don't have to, you just do it, but also uh, in 
maybe most importantly, uh, then getting into evaluating your thoughts, evaluating, placing a value judgment on anything. And even if it is the uh, holding in mind the idea that everything is of equal value is still a fabrication. But it's getting. But there's a progress there. You're getting. You're you're going from a gross view to a very um, finite view, or not even finite, uh, a very subtle, supple and fine view. So, so thank you for bringing that up. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, penetrative discernment. I like to think of it. Uh, yeah. Finding the that point where stillness is. Yeah. And it, we're we're still just looking at ourselves, you know. We're, and we're going from. Uh, as, as forms of behavior, we're going from gross behavior that we recognize through right speech, action, and livelihood to very, very supple <coughs> and subtle levels of, of behavior, and which is also characterized as very subtle levels of thought and, and speech, you know, self-talk. So, and you see how it all just... It, it, the Dhamma covers everything, every possible human experience, but it's this very well-focused kind of tiny little thing, you know, it's just this. It's just calm. Mm-hmm. With a lot of things that get our attention. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Michael. And John, I have to go. Good to see you, Dustin. I'll thanks see you so soon. Much. Yeah, thanks, 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 Mrs. Murphy. Hello. <laughs> um, I can say that now. <laughs> First, I want to say the same as Becky that for some reason, that meditation, I don't know, was very, very deep. <clears throat> felt very good. The leader. Yeah, it was very, uh, it was very, very. Uh, I, I felt like I, I reached a, a, a depth that was really very, very, very profound. But um, I really enjoyed everything this whole weekend. It was um, one word that I can think of is gratitude. Uh, gratitude for for, too. for the teaching of the Buddha, the teachers here, um, and all all of the people here in the, in the room because we're all on the same path, you know. And it's it's a rarity. You know, so it is uh, it's unique a, in the uh, world. It's, a, it's very much appreciated by by me. <laughs> you know, so thank you. Thank you, Julia. We appreciate you and your participation yes. here. Thank you, my friend Jane. Hi, John. Um, for me, I don't really think of levels of jhana when I'm meditating. I mean, I'm really not aware. For me, it's all about at the end when you say notice the quality of your mind. My mind is in peace. You know, I have a peace and calm, from, calm mind. Then, yeah, that, that's meditate. That's the goal. Yeah. And I, I just really am not aware of any levels or. Thank you, Jen. It, it, it's you're, it's a it's such a good example because you do recognize an ever deepening calm. Right. So you're you're mm-hmm. you're kind of you're not kind of you're recognizing all four levels of jhana as that final fourth level. And the, the reason why that's an important thing that you brought up is this is Jane's practice. And she's, she's experiencing what the jhanas teach us is to recognize that it's working. And Jane's been talking about that for years, how, much, how well it works for you. So that's a recognition of the levels of jhana. So thank you, Jane. Lauren, how are you? How's your retreat? Great. Thank you so much, John, for the teachings and against all the teachers and the whole song. It's been great spending a whole weekend with everyone. Um, like Jane said, I, uh, I spent this meditation trying to observe the different levels, you know, and I, I 
there's the you know joy of seclusion, then it'd be gone. Mm-hmm. There's the joy of concentration, then it's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I was trying to focus in on the different levels, it, it wasn't working, so I just kind of let that go. That's and, the right approach too, by the way. Okay. Recognize, but don't chase after them. Um, and then I think, you know, as, uh, the accumulation of this weekend overall, I do feel very calm, so I was able to get into a state of pretty profound calm. I, yeah. It's almost hard to talk. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's I all I feel. It but, works, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one, just one other thing you had mentioned about, you know, the, the idea of sitting at the right hand of God and how yeah. that sounds awful and boring. And, There's know, no girls or fish in there, so what could yeah. it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, and just thinking of, you know, how, but we're in this life, you know, and we get to experience life, what greater thing could you ask for? And I yeah. feel like the this practice just adds another layer of wonder to every moment, you know, you can yes. separate from the stress just because you're there for it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is. and you can observe it from a distance, and it's pretty great. So thank you. Thank you, Lauren. That was great. Mary! Thanks, Sean. Um, yeah, thank you, everyone um, online and uh, here in the room, and to all the teachers. It's really been fantastic. I was telling Ram that I felt that my experience uh, with the retreat was as good as some of my wonderful experiences at Juan Dharma Center. So the ability to pull that off, you know, in this little room and, you know, taking nice walks to our, our meals and everything, it's really quite effective. I hope we continue to do this. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the profound sense of calm that I feel, um, a greater awareness of the suttas that were taught and the understanding um, you know, there's definitely a deepening that has uh, taken place and um, kind of the reminder to myself to not lose this feeling and <laughs> as I get off this cushion and go back out into the world that I don't transition into something else, that I stay in this space of uh, profound understanding and calm. So that, that's my assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thank you, John. Laura, there you are. I actually see you with these things. I know I look silly, but it's nice to see your faces. Likewise. Um, Yeah, I guess this last meditation was, even though it was only 10 minutes, it just, um, I do find myself experiencing that, like Anthony was saying, just that awareness where you're kind of on the edge of eternity, like you, I wasn't counting the minutes this time. Sometimes I do that, you know, like if I'm distracted in other meditations or oh, how much longer should I sit here for, but it's just kind of like this, I don't know if this is the wrong approach, but I just feel like this almost childlike awareness, observation of what's going on and just absorbing things, but not trying to, again, attach any of the form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, those things to it. That sounds like perfect jhana practice. No, not perfect. That that idea of of a a childlike wonder and enthusiasm is really what, that's how each moment should be lived. Right, not that I function that, like, not that I can't 
go about doing adult tasks and reading <laughs> things, but it's like... That's what I, yeah, you understand. Well, I find, I, mean. I find adulthood much more pleasant when I act like a child. Anyway. Me too. <laughs> so you understand. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think it's the fifth noble truth, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Hello, Jen. Hi. Um, yeah, the, the concentration on the breath on the in-breath and the out-breath for me has been, um, it's been interesting to see how um, there's, you know, so much going on in my mind, so many things I could be thinking about when I sit down to meditation that it almost feels like to me that I'm holding on really tightly to my breath. Mm. It's almost like I'm like the movie Twister at the end when they get caught in the, in the number five Twister and they're like chained to this bar and they're flying all over the place and they're just holding on to this bar waiting, waiting out of the storm. That's what I feel like. I feel like it's, it's just, it's just, all this, no, I was thinking about this, let's think about this, let's think about that, oh, what about this, you know, body part and this form and this, and just staying with the breath can feel like, um, you know, requires intense con- concentration. Um, what I noticed during this meditation was that I don't have to, like, let go of anything. They just have to keep focusing on the breath. And and that stuff will just Mm -hmm. subside. So I guess to me, the connection that I made during this meditation was that abandonment is focusing on the breath. Choosing to concentrate on the breath is abandoning. Doesn't it's not anything more complicated yep. than this? No, it's not. So, thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dhamma teacher Jen. Did anybody ever watch Jen closely when she's teaching us like she is here? <laughs> I, I, it, she is. It's 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 like a um, it's an example of, of deep thinking. I mean, yeah. you, it, yeah, it, really, I mean, you can all, you can all see it working with, with Jen. <laughs> thank you. Hello, Ram. Dhamma teacher Ram. Um, <clears throat> It's been a, a great uh, retreat, um, and I always get that that wonderful you know, unfolding in in the sangha here, uh, and, and more dharma and the gratitude for for the Buddha. Um, as far as the meditation goes and the jhanas. Um, I very easily get the first and the second jhana uh, nowadays, now that I've finally figured out what the hell they were. Um, and not way more than I thought they were. Um, and, but I've realized that the third and fourth jhana, um, I don't seem to recognize them in meditation 
but I've found them many times when I'm when I'm carving. Huh. Um, oh, because um, it it requires that I that I'm completely focused on what I'm doing. I'm working with very sharp tools right next to my fingers. Mm -hmm. And you can't really afford to um, to not be completely concentrated. And 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 a lot of times when I'm doing that, I can actually recognize the thoughts for what they are. They're just thoughts, and they just float by. Um, and feelings the same way. Um, but I don't seem to be able to do that when I'm sitting in meditation. And to me, it's a. Luckily, I can. I have stopped the evaluation of that. Yeah. Um, that is just what it is, and it's not a good meditation or a bad meditation. It's it's just meditation. So it's been um, it's been an inter it's, it remains to be an interesting journey. Uh, how this all how this all works out. Um, I find much more equanimity in in my in my regular life um, than I would find in in meditation. Uh, but you know that's the way it is. Uh, thank you for your thank you. teachings, and um, uh, we can't do this often enough. I agree. <laughs> thank you for your teachings. I don't believe you. I think you do experience calm. It might not be for long periods of time. Well, next time you come into my mind. I know my vision isn't great, but I do see pretty good with these goggles. Isn't Ram looking more and more? I know it's a different tradition, Hinduism, but is he looking more and more like Gandhi? Yeah. <laughs> or Ben Kingsley is Gandhi, maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you, teacher Kevin. Hi, John. Uh, thanks to everybody online for a great retreat, everybody's participation. Um, just really wonderful to have this time together. So, uh, really, really appreciative of that. With regards to the genre practice, you know, I often find myself tripped up a little with those with the language and you know labeling them um, but you know with with certain practices or sits you know I, I notice that thoughts arise and it's just sort of like a pebble into a placid pool of water and there's no chasing like the thought will just you know rise and then the water's flat again so and then you know I, I've noticed the calm a little bit like what Ram said, maybe more off the cushion, but definitely more calm than when I started to sit. Um, so yeah, I think at some point there's been some experience with the jhanas. I, I do feel a little sometimes tripped up with the language, and like I said, I'd like you know, oh, you know, just notice the jhana. I thought that that was a unique meditation, so I, I did like that focus maybe mm -hmm. a little bit different focus during the sit not that I would change much that but but maybe a little less focus on my breath and more focus on the genres might be something to be well, aware or, you know in my sit just to if, if I don't know if I'm gonna be looking for it but um, I do notice the calm so that I would say that 
I have noticed that. Yeah. And again, like like Jane, that's your practice. Um, and and don't start looking for them. Mm-hmm. Just when you when you notice them, notice them, mm-hmm. and notice that you're noticing. Mm-hmm. But don't go any further than that, because mm-hmm. then it'll just be a distraction. Because you're you're developing calm, and that's the important thing is to recognize it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dharma teacher David. Thank you. I'm not. I'm not ignoring you. I just thought of a way I'd like to end the retreat. I got a price, but I'm listening. I made a very determined effort when I started to sit, and I wasn't a great meditator. Couldn't sit. Couldn't fold my legs. Couldn't do any of that. But the one thing I was determined to do was not to evaluate it, not to judge it. And once you start taking that approach, like Jeff said earlier, you just sit. And then you become calm and you don't evaluate within your jhana. And then off the cushion, you can be calm and experience equanimity. So that's what I try to do early on is not be judgmental and to Jen's point you said it a few times uh, keep in focus on what right meditation is and that, that always grounds me so and this is a perfect retreat for that so thank you yeah thank you David and again I, I, I see David um People like David that come to the Dhamma without a lot of conditioning have it um, a much easier time. Not that David himself needs it an easier time, um, but he, he doesn't have to go through a lot of stuff um, that's that he was conditioned to think it should be like, and he can just have this pure experience. And, uh, you've done pretty well with it, too. So far. So far. Thank you. Dhamma teacher Matt. Thank you, John. Uh, what a great retreat. Yeah. Really want to thank everybody online, everybody here in this room, um, everybody that's come and gone over the last few days. Um, it means a lot to, to be able to do this with a group, so I, I really appreciate that. Um, through establishing my breath in my body, becoming mindful of my breath in my body, becoming mindful of thoughts arising and passing away, becoming mindful of feelings arising and passing away, becoming mindful of the quality of my mind arising and passing away. Um, I'm able to abandon fabrications one after the other. And through understanding the Four Noble Truths and the practice of the Eightfold Path, I can recognize that my mind is calm. So, thank you, John. Thank you, Matt. Uh, he looks like a Dhamma practitioner, doesn't he? <laughs> looks like a Dhamma teacher. Uh, he does. You all, you all, every one of you looks like a Dhamma teacher, but we are so fortunate to have the teachers that we have. It's, I'm always just 
blown away by what occurs here in these rooms, you know. I know I'm one of the principals, but it's all of you taking to the Dhamma this way and practicing it the way it's meant to be practiced. You, you keep it pure. You don't, you don't try to add your own stuff to it. And it's remarkable. I've never seen anything quite like it. And it's, it, it always is, uh, the right word is encouraging, but um, this is the most meaningful thing in my life. So to be able to share it like this is, I, I can't imagine anything that, that I'd want to do except play center field for the Yankees for just one inning. But, um, <laughs> so, okay, thank you all for a wonderful retreat. Does anybody have anything else they'd like to say? You, 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 you don't need to tell me how wonderful I am. I, I, get, I get that enough. <laughs> Ah, right, go ahead if you know. Yeah. Is there... okay. I think you should let the whole Yankee thing go. Yeah. yeah. I'm only 66, nearly blind and no good leg. Well, I could still do it, I think. Okay, they need the help. Well, well I've, been, I've been trying to think, why can't I use my scooter? I mean, isn't that, that, that uh, what's the right word? Aren't they prejudiced against me or something? Not me? Uh-huh. Yeah. They let Mickey do it with bad legs. I don't know why I can't do it. So, all right, that's enough. Um, so our, our next retreat is our residential retreat. Uh, the, the theme of that is profound contentment. It feeds right from this one. Uh, profound contentment is the, the, uh, the prerequisite for a calm and peaceful mind. Uh, there is nothing, this, these are wonderful retreats that we do here. They really work well, but there is nothing like a residential retreat and to be able to just stay there. Uh, it's a wonderful setting. Um, so the, uh, the res- registration is open if you think you're going or know you're going, please reserve your spot as soon as you can. Uh, that helps my logistics out an awful lot. Um, all right, and we're, gonna, we're not going to finish with Meta. I know that Kevin promised it earlier, and I did. But we typically have uh, up at Juan, we have a, a Saturday night social where we sit around and get drunk and <laughs> play, play darts and stuff. But we only, uh, on our, one of our first retreats, uh, of, a member of our Sangha, but who doesn't join, join us all that much, uh, and a friend of Kevin and Matt's, uh, Tove Scott. Uh, I think this was like our second or third retreat. Further than that. Maybe our fifth or sixth, yeah. So he started this tradition. I think it's a good one. So we're going to, um, well, you'll, it brings, this brings calm. Mojacatito? I just silenced it. Wait a minute.
That was Iz. Uh, when you look up gentle in the, in the dictionary, you see Iz's picture. He was, this, Iz was well over 400 pounds when he died, way too young, and he was a cry. <laughs> Couldn't get through a retreat just without crying. And he was the gentlest man I ever met, and he comes through in his song. So. Thank you all for... Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.